You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Hey guys, um, if we haven't met, my name's Bert, I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining us today. Um, before we get going, really quick, if you were here last week, you just had an absolute treat, got to hear Josh preach. How many of you guys, think, like, can we just give it up for Josh? That was great. Man, talk about not looking back, like the, the sister. Oh, so, I mean, I was listening to this week, I was just like, oh, I need to get saved all over again. Just, oh my gosh, it was so good. All right, listen, I need you to do me a big old favor before we go any further. You ready? I just need to express this. My family and I, like we, even when we were gone a week, I missed everybody. So stinking much. Just give yourself a big old hug from the Miller family. Just right now, just, oh, you're not doing it. It's weird. It's weird. Eight o'clock, I did it. Nine thirty, looked at me like I had two heads. All right. Um, look, so um, we're in the series. We're beginning a new one today called uh, Father of Faith, the Life and Legacy of Abraham. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in Genesis for a while. Uh, thus far, uh, we'll set up the story a little bit, but I want to just, I want to just convey this. I really, really hope uh, at the end of the day that, that you guys get a lot out of this series be, because this is one of those stories. I don't know about you, but I have certain Bible stories and certain Bible uh, people that just resonate with me more than others. You know what I'm talking about? Where like you read that story, like, oh man, that's that, like, it's like they're reading my mail. That's my life right there. And Abraham is one of those stories for me. I just, I look at his relationship with God. And I look at everything that happens there. And I see so many things. I'm just like, I, I want to know you like that. So I hope everybody else comes to that place because like, for instance, like after Abraham dies, I think it's Isaiah 41, there's a part where God is, is actually speaking to his descendants, the nation of Israel, and he talks about Abraham, Abraham and he says, you know, like, your father Abraham, and he calls him my friend. I, I look at them like, I, I want that. You know what I mean? Like, I want to know, know you like that. I want to I walk with you. I want that intimacy. I want to hear your voice. I want to just go through life with you. And, and so I read this story and I see how that relationship develops. And I'm like, God, if you do it for him, maybe me too. I don't need like the nations coming for me or anything, but just that relationship with you. And I just hope, I hope that, that we all arrive there together just to want to know him better and know him more. But spiritually, Abraham has a lot of significance, and, and physically in the history of the world as well. You know, if, if you didn't know this or not, he is the father of the Jewish people. Everyone, every Israelite, every Hebrew, they, they all have Abraham as the father of their lineage. But not just the Israelites. It, like Every Muslim person also claims that Abraham's son Ishmael is, is, is their father as well. So you have all these nations who have descended from this one guy who, when the story starts, has no kids. And we'll get to why that's important later on. But then there's Christians as well, who we claim him as, as our spiritual father. And we say spiritual, not physical. Because, because what we learn in the scriptures is that it turns out Abraham's faith is a prototype of the gospel. Abraham's faith, and we'll see this later on in the series, Abraham's faith is the same faith that we have. So for instance, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul, the apostle writes this. He says, uh, and we'll bring it up on the screen here. Okay, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Meaning that it's more than just a physical lineage. If you have this faith, you believe right, in salvation by grace through faith. You believe that God sent his son into the world to die for your sins and, and that God raised him from the dead. This, this receiving of the gift of God by faith. He, Paul would say, all right, listen, you are a child of Abraham. And he continues. He says, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. 
and announced, and look at this word here, the gospel in advance to Abraham, meaning the very first time in the scriptures that the gospel ever shows up is before Jesus even sets foot on the planet. It's in the life of Abraham. And we're going to see that in this story. And well, how does that work? Well, Paul continues, all nations, he says, will be blessed through you. I mean, like whatever is going to happen, that, that whatever God is going to do in the life of Abraham ultimately is meant to impact the entire world. And that verse right there, we're going to come back to you today. We're going to actually see it in our text. So let me just sort of put us all on the same page and recap the book of Genesis a little bit. So, so thus far, what we've seen, we've seen God's creation of the world, right? How God created the world with no brokenness, no sin, no suffering, no death, no disease, none of that stuff. And then our first parents, they rebelled against God's reign. They wanted to rule over creation for themselves. They committed a spiritual treason. And as a result, because they represented God in creation, creation broke. Creation broke. And all these bad things came into it. And we watched how this, this one decision sort of snowballed, right? It got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and you know, evil entered in bigger ways. There was bloodshed. There was murder. We saw the flood. And then our story, like where we left off was the Tower of Babel. Right, this this sort of pinnacle moment where humanity is united in rebellion against God. They decide, okay, listen, what we're going to do, even though the command is for us to fill the earth, we're going to stay in one place. And on top of that, what we're going to do is we're going to make a name for ourselves. Remember this story? Like, it's, it's, for them, it's not about God; it's about them. Now, here's why this is important because that's the context for the story of Abraham. In fact, the beginning of the story of Abraham stands in contrast to Babel. That is to say, as Babel ends, and Babel being the story about people trying to make a name for themselves, we're going to see how God broke that. But now God's going to make a name for someone else. And so, our story, Genesis chapter twelve, picks up and says this: The Lord had said to Abram. Now, let me just clarify this as well, okay? I got to put this out in advance. Abram is Abraham. His name will change later on. In the same way, Sarai is his wife, Sarah. Same person. So give me some grace if I accidentally say Abraham instead of Abram. My kids do this to me all the time. I'm reading the Bible and be like, okay, I say Abraham and my son who can read looks and he goes, it doesn't say that. <laughs> you, can, you know what I'm, okay, it's just grace up here, okay? So the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Yeah, I thought it was funny too. <laughs> I'm glad I got the fan back there. All right. Look. No, but, but can, we just, can we just illustrate and understand, by the way, that, that that's kind of how faith begins? That basically God is telling him, step into the unknown. And how scary that must be. I mean, like, this is it. Okay, like, not the land. Okay, it's, like, just a few miles west, and you just head over there. And I've already set up a welcome wagon for you. They've got apple pie and a house ready. None of that. Just, just go, and I'll show you where to go later on. And how many of us, like, when we walk into our relationship with Jesus, that's kind of the breaking, like, that's the beginning of it. Like, like you, you were living this life, and, and it was all about you, and you were consuming all this stuff, and you were using people. And then Jesus goes, all right, leave all that, and just follow, and I'll, and I'll show you where to go. You're like, ah, I don't even know. And he goes, yeah, do it. That's this right here. Okay, and why is he going to do this? Well, he says this, because I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make, he continues, I will make your name great. There's a contrast to Babel, right? Babel, okay, let us make a name for ourselves. But now we're going to see the only one who does that is God. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. So the reason that I'm going to do this isn't for you to feel good about yourself. It's to bless the world. He says, he says this, he says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. 
and all peoples on the earth, remember back in our Galatians, this is what I was referencing, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And, and we have the benefit of hindsight here. We can see that what he's talking about ultimately is Jesus, right? So, so God, he makes the nation of Israel through Abraham. Israel becomes a light to the rest of the world. They're a different, unique people. From Israel comes Jesus, who blesses the entire world in his sacrificial death and resurrection. It starts right here. It starts right here. So, okay, what, like God, I mean, what do you do with that kind of green light? God himself says, leave, every, leave everything. And I'm going to make a nation out of you. And Abraham, or Abram, see, I almost did it, right? Abram at the time has no children. So how's that going to work? I don't know, but go. And so he went, look at this. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot, who's his nephew, went with him. More on Lot later. Okay, it continues. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And by the way, let's just honor that little bit of faith as well. Okay, come on. For how many of us, like we, the older we get, the more stuck in our ways we are. The older we get, like I've made a name for myself here. I've made a house for myself here. I've made a place for, I made a life for myself here. At 75, Abram listens to the voice of the Lord and says, okay, I'll leave everything behind. I mean, good night. All right, it continues. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled, it continues, through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. We're going to pause right here for a second because one of the reoccurring promises we're going to see uh, in this story, it's twofold. It's a promise of descendants and it's a promise of land. Okay, like the, the big sort of thing that God promises Abram is, okay, I'm going to give you this place. This land will be for your descendants, even though Abram has none. And this is important. If you're, if you ever sort of look at like conflicts and you wonder, okay, like why is it that, that like people in Israel, they're really, really dogmatic about ma- making sure that certain land is theirs. It comes back to this right here. They believe it's been promised to them by God. In this story, we see that happen. Okay, and, and this is the big promise to Abram. Okay, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you descendants. And so what, what do you do with that? Like God basically saying, hey, all of your dreams are about to come true. I mean, if God were to say, hey, like, I know you, you've desired this. You just, like, you've desired to have kids. I'm going to make not just a, not just a couple, because I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to give you descendants. And I'm going I'm to give you this. Like what, what else can you do with God giving you that, that kind of green light but worship, right? Oh, thank you. That's exactly what Abram does. So look at this. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then the last part here. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now we're going to pause here for a moment. Because now we're about to see the mood of the, short, uh, the story shift, okay? And I want to sort of set this up the right way. So you've got all these promises of God to Abram. And his spirituality is very, very fresh. But then life sets in. And, and let me sort of illustrate this a little bit. So maybe you've had this happen. How many of you ever had like a, like a sort of like a spiritual awakening moment? Like maybe like you went to a camp when you were a teenager, right? And, and like the, the worship was so amazing and the speakers were so good. And you were just, and you were just so aware of the Holy Spirit there, right? And they give an altar call and you go run. Like you, you, no one can hold you back. You go running down just the tears and the snot are streaming down your face. It's like, oh, Jesus, I see you, right? Just, like you're just all about it because you're just so aware of the presence of God. 
Or maybe like you read a book, right? And you read this book and like, and, and this book is just, it's, man, it's speaking your language. It's like they knew your life story. And it's like the words are jumping off the page. You're like, wow, oh my gosh, God knows my name. God knows about me. Or you go to a church service and the preacher's talking and it's not me, but somebody else. And they're really, really good. And, and the worship is, is amazing, you know? And you're like, wow, I left there and I, I have met with the Lord in this place. God is so real to me. And then you go home. And life sets in. And things don't stay that energetic or fresh forever, do they? Like, like you go back to work and your boss is still a jerk. You're like, well, he was, Jesus was with me. And now, like, they're, like what's going on? Or, you know, like your spouse like, still just doesn't get it. And they're, and they're saying things to you. They're like jabs or, or whatever it is. I mean, they just, like, you go back and life sets back to the way that it was. And you're like, God, like, where, where are you? And we're about to see this in the life of Abram as well. And we wonder, like, like well, why is it like that? And for many of us, we assume that we've done something wrong. Right, so we go something like this. We go, well, okay, must be, maybe I must have sinned or, or I'm not praying enough because if I was praying more, then Jesus would still be with me and I'd still be feeling it the way that I did. And you've heard that old Christian adage, which I don't believe is biblical at all, but it's this, they say, well, listen, if, if you don't feel close to God, who moved? Well, maybe nobody. Maybe nobody. Because here's the funny thing. You are going to discover there are times where God goes absolutely quiet. And you are not aware of his presence of all, or at all. And it's in those moments that your real formation takes place. Because it turns out, and if you're taking notes, I need you to write this down. It turns out that it's in God's silence that our hearts are revealed. Can I say that again? It's in God's silence that our hearts are revealed. The funny thing about faith is this. You actually have to have opportunities to trust in order to trust. You actually have to have opportunities where your faith is tested for it to be solid and precious. You know, one of my favorite uh, saints in church history is a guy named St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross wrote a book called Dark Night of the Soul. Now, it's not associated with Batman. It's talking about, like, dark nighttime. And um, in it, in the book, what, what, that, that was, no laugh back there, buddy? Okay. Like, so, like, in the book, in the book, he talks about this idea of like, you'll find there are new seasons of life where, you know, like your devotional life is just fresh and you're reading the scriptures and like the words are leaping off the page. He says, but then what will happen is God will pull his presence back. And, and it's, it's more of a, like a hassle and a struggle to pray. And, and it's just kind of like there's an apathy that sets in. And he goes, What's God, or what God is doing is he's refining you. He's making it so that what's in here actually comes out. And we're going to see this with Abraham. Like the big thing that we're going to learn as, as we go through his story is his fundamental problem. The big thing that he's got to learn to overcome is that he does not trust God. He trusts God when God is right in front of him. He trusts God when God is promising him all these wonderful things. But at the first opportunity to not trust God, Abram again and again and again will take it. And that's like a lot of us, right? Like in this moment, like, like, and we'll say, we're in church and we'll pray like, God, I'll never go back. And I'm going to, I'm going to finally get my act together. And then, and then no, not, not so much. Cause the funny thing about trust is trust can't be commanded. Trust is earned. 
And, and so, you know, if you're in this place in life where you're like, okay, why, why am I not growing more? Maybe you are, but you're just not aware of it. And let's see this now, okay? So, here, so like God has told him to go to this land, right? Well, here's the thing that happens with the land. So now there was a famine in the land. So remember, hey, I'm going to bless you with this land. I'm going to bless it to your descendants. And now it turns out, actually, you can't even eat there, which is kind of, kind of a problem. And by the way, for the one who believes, okay, if Jesus is with me, nothing will ever go wrong in my life. Sorry. It's just not true. It's just not true. All right, so there's a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And what's he do there? Well, he continues. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And she's like, oh, thanks, baby. He goes, yeah, about that. Um, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, well, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but we'll let you live. Because they live in a patriarchal society. So the, and, and it's sort of like, I mean, it's barbaric, this belief. If you have power, if you have muscle, might equals right. And so if you see a woman and she's married, but you want her, just kill the husband and take the woman. Like it's, 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 it's archaic, it's horrible, but that's the world that he lived in. And so he goes, all right, listen, what will happen is if we go there, they're going to see you, babe, and they know that you've got it going on. They're going to kill me. And, 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 and sweetheart, I have needs too. One of them is to breathe. So, um, so we've got to work something out right now. And so here's what he says. So he says, say that you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. Because listen, if I'm your husband, they'll kill me. But if I'm your brother, they'll be like, well, brother-in-law, we'll bless him and we'll take the sister. I mean, we'll be a big, happy family and messed up, right? But it's exactly what he does. And the fun fact for you, by the way, is it's not the, this is not the only time this happens. Meaning like he, he, he commits a colossal sin here. Like he fails as a man of faith, as a husband, as like a, a man who's charged with caring for his wife above him. So he fails terribly. And it's not the only time he does it. Like, we'll see God intervene a little bit later on, but understand that, like, you would think that, that Abram would get over it, but he does, like, he comes back to this thing over and over and over again. And the reason I bring that up is because for how many of us, the internal line that we have is this. We go, I should be over this by now. And we think, okay, like, like, all right, all right, geez, like I, I know I love God and I know I'm trying to walk with him. So why is it I keep coming back to this thing? Like, why is it I keep struggling? Like every time I have an opportunity to forgive someone, so I'm still angry or okay. Why is it I'm tempted to go back to that website? Why is it I'm tempted to go back to that bar? Like, what is it? I just keep repeating over and over and over and over again. What's wrong with me? And the answer is nothing. That's how faith works. You grow in it again, and with time, God just chisels away a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. It's like, a, have you ever been on an airplane? Okay, you know, like when it comes time to land the plane, they don't just dive bomb you to the ground. <laughs> Put your hands up, folks. Here we go. There's a reason we have the seatbelt sign. No, that's not what. What do they do? They circle it, Right. They, they circle just more and more around and they're circling and they're gradually going lower and lower and lower. So your ears don't pop and, and babies don't scream. And that's just kind of, even though they still do like, but, but that, that's what it is. Right? Okay. Faith is like that where you keep coming around this thing over and over and over and over again. And, and each time that you get there, it's a little bit different, but you probably don't even see it. And for Abram, it's the same way. He comes back to this issue of not trusting God over and over and over and over again. And in this instance, he commits the unthinkable. He gives away 
His wife said, look at this. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians, true to his thought, saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. Here we go. Oh. Okay. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. But hey, here's Abram's hopes. Seems it worked out for him in the way that he thought it would. He treated Abram well, so talking about Pharaoh, for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, and then also male and female servants and camels. So there you go, man. Look, I mean, you lost your wife. At least you got some stuff. That's nice, at least. Hey, what kind of faith is that? And the answer is none. It's none. He doesn't trust God. And he, and he messes things up royally to say nothing of whatever Sarai went through in that moment. But it's here that we have to understand something. Um, this is still the guy that God chooses to show up and bless. And you might go, Why? The answer is because that's who God is. He redeems the unredeemable. He is a friend of sinners. He is abounding in love and mercy. And this is hard for us because we like things very black and white. We like the idea of, okay, like God blesses good people and he rejects bad people. And we always define good people as us, but that's a whole other thing. Um, And we believe, okay, like when it comes to faith, it's, okay, I knew G Je- or I didn't know Jesus, and now I do. And so this was me before, and that guy is completely gone, and all my issues before I knew Jesus are over here, but now I know Jesus, and now I'm supposed to be perfect, and it never works out that way, does it? Because what happens is this, basically, when you, when, you, when you come to know Christ, yeah, he brings you to life from, from your spiritual death. You were dead in your sin, but now he, like, it's like he shines a light on your heart, and you're aware of all these things suddenly that you, were, you had no idea about before. So it's essentially like, okay, here's my life over here, and now I'm just going like, to put a big U-Haul trailer around my waist and pull it into my new life with Christ. And all my issues over there just come right across the line. And what we don't see is that slowly but slowly God is just unloading that trailer and pulling things off. But we don't see it because we like this sort of definitive before, and after shot. Think, I mean, this is how we market everything. You, like, you, go, you, you watch like any like commercial for anything fitness, right? Like, like here's the new Bowflex. Is Bowflex still a thing? I don't know. Bowflex, right? Like, remember, and, you, and you know the picture, right? Like they've got they've got the before picture and they photoshopped a guy so he looks like the girl from Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, you know, just giant dude, right? Okay, and then they've got the after picture. And the after picture, like it's God's gift to fitness, right? It's this guy like he has more abs than I knew existed. Just all the abs right there on his stomach, right? So like before, whoa, after, wow. Okay, like one of those things. All right, but what you know what's interesting? They never show the in-between. Because it's not sexy. Right? So like, like the in-between, okay, well, here's, here's Jimmy, and he's been using the bow flex, and he lost three pounds. They don't show that. In the same way when it comes to faith, unfortunately what's happened is it's been marketed to so many of us as a before and an after. And we know the before. And we know that, okay, I, I know the real me, and I know how jacked up I am, and I know how messed up I am. And so if that's what, if I'm supposed to be the after and I'm not the after, it means there's something wrong with me. Oh, only there's not. You're just like Abram. And for the one who's sitting here today, and you've had this, this standard imposed on you by somebody else, and it was this, a Christian is supposed to look like this. And you don't look like this. And so you thought you couldn't be a Christian. It's not true. It's not true. Hey, for, for the one, um, 
you've believed that God would never want you because you were taught, well, this is what Christians are supposed to be. Christians are, are you know, they, they dress a certain way and you know, Christians, they don't, they don't swear, they don't drink, they don't chew, and they don't associate with those who do. I mean, it's not true, but you've been told these things. You've been taught this false version of our faith that is all about your moral righteousness but do you understand that what makes someone a christian is an absolute dependence and need for the grace and mercy of god manifest through jesus christ nothing else you can applaud that why not it's true which is why i i I need you to know something today write this down as well faith is not just a promise it's a process It's not just a promise. It's not just a God, I'll give you my life. Great, do that. But it's also a process. Religious buzzwords, we would call this sanctification. The changing of you that God and God alone can do. And the Bible is filled with these stories. The men and women that we elevate as the heroes of our faith. Abram, we looked at Noah before. I mean, just on and on. David, I mean, every person that you could think of besides Jesus, they're flawed. But God loves flawed people. And he's patient. And he works things out. You know, I had a good friend in seminary. Uh, his name was Andy Doyle. Andy's a pastor now. And uh, Andy, he's from England. And uh, he came to Christ in a really radical way. He was not raised a Christian at all. At the time, he was a male model. But he's smart. He's smart. But, like, he was a, he was a male model. And, uh, and uh, thank you. Like, so... <laughs> And he came to Christ, like, while he was still a drug addict, he had made a, a mess of his life. And one night we, we went out, and it's one of the very first times I ever hung out with Andy. And he went, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a terrible British accent here, but this is how I hear the story in my head. And he just went, so Bert. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, what's the worst thing you've ever done since you became a Christian? <laughs> so I looked him square in the eyes, and I answered like any red-blooded American Christian man would. I looked at him, I said, you first. Yeah. <laughs> you know what he said to me? <laughs> he goes, well, I once tried to witness to someone while I was high on crack cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Got me beat. Yeah, he did a face. He just went, it's so great to be forgiven. Like, let's take <laughs> Now, to be clear, Andy no longer does drugs, but um, I don't want him to lose his ministry. Um, but, but you know what? God was patient with Andy. Right? He started out in this place, and just little by little, God just began to chip away at all these issues that were in his heart and began to, to mold him and change him because faith is not just a promise. It's a process. You know, if I can just be real for a second. Um, in, in an addicted society that we live in, I've been following Jesus for 20 years, 20 plus now. You know how many people I've ever known that when they got saved, God delivered them from an addiction? Like on the spot? One. One. The va- and it's not that I haven't known a lot of addicted people. But the vast majority, they, they, they have to get a treatment. They have to do NAA, AA, celebrate recovery, something. Be, because, okay, they're aware of stuff that they weren't aware of before. 
but there's still this molding that has to take place. And unfortunately, because we live with this sort of light switch mentality, we, we consider that somehow less authentic, but it's not. It's still the Holy Spirit of God working, convicting, molding in his time at the right way. You know, hey, fun fact, I, I, I go see a therapist every now and then because I'm a jacked up dude. And in the, in the office of my, my counselor, uh, he, he has a, a big painting that I absolutely love. I stare at it and I reflect on it every time that I'm there. You know what it says? It says, God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because no one is as they should be. And I, just, I read that. I was like, yes. Yeah, God, yes. Okay, like, the, the Jesus came to save sinners like me and like you. Because faith is not just a promise, it's a process. But now we're going to watch God show up. So Abram, when he's made a mess of things, we're going to watch God fix the situation. Not because of how good Abram is, but because God said that he would. Remember the whole, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you. In other words, buddy, I got your back no matter what. So look at this. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. And this is important, okay? Because we would think that what God would do would be like, this guy screwed up, let me cut bait and run, I'll find somebody else. But he doesn't do that. You know why? Because faithfulness is in the character of God. Like, the the Apostle Paul writes it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says it like this. He says, if we are faithless, he, talking about God, remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. Meaning, even when we turn our back on God, even when we're faithless, because God, by his nature, is faithful, he can't change who he is just because we want to change who we are. And we see this in this story. So God, even though Abram has sinned, even though he's like done something terrible, God intervenes. So it's, look, here's what happens next in Genesis. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. He said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, listen, here's your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram. So Abram was worried about his safety. How about this? Abram, he gave orders about Abram to his men, meaning don't mess with this guy. And they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. And and, and here's a thing we're going to have to understand. Um, It turns out, Here's your like, man, glad I came to church moment today. Turns out God can be trusted. Turns out, even though Abram tried to cut a corner and, and manipulate things so that, okay, is, does he recognize he's committing a sin? Does he recognize he's compromising his integrity and he's making things terrible for us? Yeah, but he feels like he has to do it. Turns out you don't. Turns out God can be trusted. Hey, do you know that for the one who's sitting here today who's like, man, I've got to lie at work in order to keep my job? No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, it turns out I've, I've got to, I've got to you know, like fudge this a little bit. I've got to take this. I've got to elevate me. Otherwise, I won't be able to make it. Turns out, no, you don't actually have to live that way at all because God can be trusted. You can keep your integrity. And if, if he were to sort of, you know, end that door at that job, he would provide something else. And this is shocking to us because we expect a God who only does things within our little box for how God should act. Bless the good, spite the bad. But he doesn't do that in this Abraham story. Even though Abram has really, really messed things up, 
God intervenes because there's a big, big truth about God's character and, and his mercy and his grace. I, I want you to know today, here's what it is, that grace is messy. I mean, it is. It's so messy that it turns out like that God's like intervening and like, okay, well, you know, I, I've done this. I'm just this, this so bad. I'm like, yeah, let me get my hands right in there and fix it. Let me just get right in there and redeem you. And you're going, all right, I've got to keep this section of my life hidden from God. I, I don't talk about this in my relationship with him because it makes me less than I'd like to be. And God goes, that's my favorite part. Let me get in there and just mess with it some more because grace is really, really messy. And like, he just like, he lavishes it upon his people. He loves just absolutely blessing you with grace and mercy and opportunities for transformation again and again and again and again because who he is it's who he is it's not about you at all it was never about you getting it right it's about him you know i by by nature am a clean person i am i i just like the way that i am i i freak out like if my house is is messy um, I freak out when I was a kid, even like if I got anything like spilled on my clothes, I had to change them immediately. I clean. I want to be clean. This became a problem when I had children. Because um, <laughs> it turns out them not so much. I mean, I got I got I don't even lift the car seats in my car. Anymore. I want to know what's under them. Like there's just like, uh, right? I remember first time um, after we brought my, my oldest son home from the hospital. First time it was on me to change the baby. And I was like, I, I was already like freaked out. I'm like, I, feces are not things that I desire to mess with. So, but, but here's this baby and I'm like, it's, it's, it's gotta be me, man. So I put him on the, on the changing table there, open the ones and like, you got this, you got this, you're a man, you're a man, you're a man, you've got this, you got this, you got this, you, you face scarier, you've got this, right? So, so open up the onesie, open the diaper and they're okay. Yeah. All right. So. So I grab my son's little legs, right? And I lift them up. I'm like, okay, wipes, got the wipes ready to go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Now, a funny thing about baby boys. Um, <laughs> they do not respect a lack of barrier. And this time was worse on... Um, because as I had him elevated, it was like I was pulling back a slingshot. <laughs> and he launched the contents of that shot across the room. And it landed on a Bible. <laughs> now, um, in case you're curious about the lives of preachers... The Bible's kind of an important book to us. <laughs> and so I'm looking at this thing that my son had done. I mean, he had, he had gone everywhere, right? Like across the thing. And I looked at this, I was so disgusted. And so I looked at him, just a couple days old, and I said, figure it out. And I left the room. <laughs> no, you know, I didn't do that. <laughs> you didn't do that. I didn't do that. What do you think of that? Clean it up, right? Because I met him where he was. I understood he's a baby. He couldn't do it himself. Not a one of you believed that I just left him to it. And yet, for how many of you, you believe that that's what God's done with you and the mess that you've made? You're like, you know, God, I screwed up. And you, go, and, you, and you have this picture of God that he's looking at you and he's going, figure it out. No. No, he loves getting in the mess. Not that he loves the mess, but he loves you. And his desire 
is to clean it up. We see this in the Abram story. There's a reason that God is so for us. Like for those of you who have this like separate view of Christ, that Jesus is somehow looking on you with disdain at all times. That okay, if, if, if he really knew, or if anyone else really like, like God wouldn't want me. You know what the Bible says to that? The book of Hebrews, chapter four, says this. So it, can, it says, We do not have a high priest talking about Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, meaning God understands where you are, he understands how you are, he understands who you are. Meaning he gets that you're a broken sinner who needs to be saved, who needs to be forgiven and cleansed and changed. He gets you. But when, or but said, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Hey, what would happen the next time if you felt tempted, if you went to the Lord and went, God, I, I, I'm feeling like this and I want to do this. What if Jesus would look at you and go, yeah, I've been there. Because that's exactly what this text is saying. But he didn't give in. So maybe he's got a way out for you. Understand that, listen, when it comes to Abraham, he had to learn to trust God. And we do too. We do too. And we're going to see that over the next several weeks. We're going to see how that plays out. So look, before we go today, here, here's my, my big takeaway for you. All right? If you're like, okay, what do I do with that knowledge? Okay, if you're telling me that God basically wants to save me and, and, and intervene in my life and change me and mold me, like what, what do I do with that? How, how, how do I receive that? It's really simple. You just say yes. So if you, if you want to receive Christ today, if, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to begin a relationship with this God who loves you, who is head over heels in love with you, ask. If like, I don't have the words, okay, I'll pray. And, and, and my words, they're not magic, but if you can't think of words, you can just use these words, okay? So every head bowed, every eye closed, let's just pray together and let's invite the Lord in. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And we admit that we're sinners and that we need you to save us. God, we ask you, please do it. We believe that you sent Jesus to die for our sin. We believe you raised him from the dead so that you can have new life, so that we can have new life with you. So we ask you now, please give us that new life. Please come into our lives and show us how to walk with you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.